Welcome to the Fortune Management Practice Mastery Podcast. Each episode, we bring you powerful conversations with thought leaders in the dental, veterinary, optometry, and medical industries. At Fortune Management, we coach doctors and teams to have an extraordinary practice and an extraordinary life. I'm Kim McGuire, host of the Practice Mastery Podcast. Today, Shannon Richkowski, the Director of Hygiene Mastery, sits down for a conversation with Mark Webb, the Director of Fortune 50 and an Executive Business Coach at Fortune Management. Mark brings more than 25 years of leadership and executive management experience to the table. Also joining the discussion is Curtis Crandall, an Executive Business Coach with Fortune Management, who purchased his first dental practice in September of 2010. In the last three years, he has tripled the practice's revenue, formed a merger with another practice, and branded two separate offices in the Pittsburgh area. This episode is taken from a webinar hosted for Fortune Management clients. I'm looking forward to hearing this enlightening conversation. Now let's get started. We have a very exciting conversation this evening around mergers and acquisitions. I get really pumped up and excited about this because it's such a fantastic way for doctors to expand their blueprint. I do want to take a moment to introduce our two outstanding panelists. Mark Webb is our key business strategist and business coach. He hones these unique skills in his role as the director of Fortune 50. He leads this exclusive, unique group of dental professionals who are determined to grow their business exponentially. For more than a decade, Mark worked with Patterson Dental, building high-performance teams that support the dental profession. Mark has also led highly profitable business units, which include annual revenues of $60 million in P&L responsibilities and multiple business units with $250 million in annual revenue. There's no question that we're uh, excited to have him tonight. And we also have Curtis Crandall with us, who is an executive fortune management coach. He has helped hundreds of practices go the next level in leadership, culture, productivity, and profitability. Curtis is also a multi-location practice owner who has tripled the practice revenue in less than three years with successful merger and acquisition. We are grateful to have both of you join us this evening. There's no question that having you on our panel tonight is going to bring massive value to our attendees. So thank you both. And thank you for being dear friends of mine. Thanks, Shannon. Thanks for having me. All right. Let's kind of just dive in. I know everybody's on eager to get the information that you have to offer them. Curtis, I want to start with you. And you kind of wear two hats tonight. And, and I think that the listeners are going to identify when you're wearing that, that executive fortune management coach hat who helps doctors put these systems in place. And then you're also going to be wearing the hat of, of a business owner that actually has done it for himself and his practices. So I'm eager to hear if I'm a doctor and I'm thinking about pursuing a merger and acquisition, or maybe I pursued one and, and I'm mm-hmm. thinking about maybe doing another one. I'd like for you to establish the why. Why would a doctor take time out of, you know, the clinical scope that he's in or she's in to pursue a merger and acquisition? What, what's the big benefits here to them? Well, there, there's certainly tremendous upside to a merger and acquisition. And, you know, certainly going from doing one merger and acquisition to wanting to have the bandwidth to do another can be, you know, can be tricky. And, and the why is important, no doubt. You know, I, I know for myself and my organization, it, it was kind of twofold as far as that powerful why. And, uh, you know, we're really all about 
helping out our community, helping out our colleagues, helping out other dentists. And what we are seeing, and you, you mentioned I've done a few of these, and we started, I don't know, back six or seven years when I did my first one. We're really seeing offices kind of fold that were just, you know, shouldn't shouldn't fold, right? You know, they're they're small, they're closing up their doors, their their patients were getting were not getting taken care of. And, uh, you know, learning what I learned from Fortune, I was able to go out to the community and, and kind of save some of these. And I think it was really re reassuring to the practices that we were acquiring to the owners of those. Uh, we reassured them that their, their patients were going to have a good home. And, you know, I think that was something that really resonated with me. It felt good. Not to mention, we usually get a good, a good doctor, a great doctor along the way. And I, I thought that was really special. And, you know, one one of our, our most powerful sentences in our in our vision statement is that we want to bring our philosophy of care to more patients, more people in our area. And so that was another really big kind of, you know, home run for us because we could do it on a, on a very wide scale. And, you know, it was something that I felt great about. It was something my partners felt great about. It was something our team members felt great about. So, you know, driving that and then really focusing on making it successful just kind of came, you know, it didn't come easy. Nothing always comes easy, but it came with uh, a lot of fulfillment. Um, which so was special. And the other side is the, the revenue increase, which is nice. You know, you're going to have that that monetary value that that comes along with, with buying a business, assuming that it works out successfully, which that's where, you know, Fortune plays a key role in to help narrate those things. You know, I, I remember the second one that we did, we had hired an associate and the, the, uh, the, the patient flow wasn't necessarily exactly where it needed to be. We actually built out an entire second floor, you know, for this doctor. And it was a little bit slow starting for a few months, but uh, consequently, what happened was we had sent out a round of, of uh, you know, of, of, I guess, you know, phishing letters for this opportunity. And it just came at the right time. You know, it came at the right time and that felt good. Um, and I, I would say the other reason that you want to look for it and always have it on your radar is economy of scale, right? You know, some people think that they want that second location, right, or that third location, and, you know, expanding your footprint with another brick and mortar location comes with its own consequences. And doing it in a merger acquisition form where you actually acquire a business and you bring it into your current location, you only really absorb those direct costs, right? The costs that are directly uh, from, from patient care, right? You have your fixed costs that stay there and you acquire the, the you know, the, the practice and you, you just have direct costs. And so you can, you can definitely take advantage of profitability in that manner. You know, I think another thing is that when your team gets excited about it, that that's something that kind of helps drive that as well. They've done one successful merger acquisition. You know, they're going to want to help do another one. And, you know, that's something that, that, again, that feels good and can ultimately make these a very successful, uh, you know, growth strategy for your business. Awesome. And I know the team that you surround yourself and they are an amazing group. Um, I think every doctor would love to have them <laughs> by their side as they pursue these types of things. Oh, so I, I think that for the most part, there's no question that the revenue profitability is going to increase. Um, you know, obviously connecting it with your vision, your vision to be able to serve more people. And it fills that you brought up something I don't normally think about. And that, you know, you, you can tell your heart is really in it when you discuss giving other doctors a, an opportunity to transition elegantly and know that, you know, whatever they built all these years and, and their baby and, the, and something that's so special to them to know that that legacy, I love that word legacy, that legacy is going to live on when they find somebody to merge with or, or partner with. And um, I think that that just, 
you know, creating a legacy in dentistry and keeping what we're doing going is so very powerful. So I'm, I'm so grateful that you brought that up. Mark, do you, was there anything here that, that you would say from, from the F50 coaching um, that you provide that you would add to this? Maybe just two, two bullets that I'd add to it. And I think, I think Curtis covered it very adequately, the why behind it. You know, we talked, he, he um, hit on some very, very key business elements. The other one is just your asset growth. The asset, the valuation of your asset is growing when you do an acquisition. And it may be a little bit more of a long range play, um, but there's two sides of it. One is cash flow, right? Additional revenue. And the other side is that your the valuation of your practice uh, grows over time. And as you grow it organically and you, uh, or through mergers and acquisitions, you grow it. That asset, uh, at some point down the road, when you go to either a liquidity event or you uh, are looking at what to do with that asset that you've created, this beautiful business, um, it's it's in a much better shape financially because of its uh, its size and scope. So that's the only thing I would add. Really, be the asset valuation increases obviously over time through acquisition as well. So I'm hearing really a discussion around these short-term and immediate results that you get. And then Mark, you really brought in that long-term and how this is going to impact you for many, many years to come. And that's, that's huge. That's huge. Mm -hmm. So Mark, I really want to, I want to kind of pick your brain a moment on, you know, obviously the landscape and dentistry looks a little different right now. We all know Mm -hmm. that Um, we're all, we've all, we're all living in that. What are you seeing the current market conditions regarding M&As? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, Shannon. And, and certainly the, you know, with um, what we've all experienced over the last eight months plus, um, and look at that pre-pandemic, let's just say it that way, you know, kind of with the landscape, and I'm gonna answer this um, from two perspectives, you know, um, some things haven't changed at all. There are market dynamics that have created the whole buzz of mergers and acquisitions, uh, and that's a consolidation. So going back pre-pandemic, the landscape was, hey, it's consolidated. As industries mature, they consolidate. We've seen this in dentistry on the uh, supply side. Uh, Some 25 years ago, there were over 600 distributors of dental supplies in the U.S. Right now, two major suppliers hold almost 70% market share. And they didn't do that through just organic growth. They gobbled up other ones. The consolidation on the supply side started a long time ago. And then you also see these uh, mega companies like uh, merging together, creating multi-billion dollar companies uh, like Densply Serona and others. So the, the market is consolidating. The market on the practice side started consolidating, I'd say probably about 15 years ago. It's always been consolidating. There's been acquisitions but it started to really accelerate. And just to give you some perspective, the landscape was 15 years ago, and I didn't know I was gonna go that far back, but the fact is is that it was maybe only five to 7% consolidated, some 15 to 20 years ago. It is now almost 30% consolidated and it's accelerating. It's accelerating. So the, 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 the consolidation is on. So that, that part of the landscape remains the same. And I think that the pandemic period that we are still working our way through has in some ways accelerated some of that consolidation. Um, and here's some, you know, just some general facts about landscape. We believe at Fortune Management and, and my core uh, mentors and the people that we talk often, we think there's still about five to 7% of the, of the practices throughout the US that have not even reopened, have not even reopened for some primary reasons and some secondary reasons, but primarily because of the pandemic, 
um, maybe had not gotten reopened. It, it, may, it caused a lot of uh, owners that are in the latter parts of their career to really rethink what's it going to take to reopen. There's a lot of things. This ties or feeds into the landscape of mergers and acquisitions um, because a lot of uh, practices had the opportunity to really think through their strategic plans, their transitions, where they are in their, you know, are they a, are they mid-career or are they late career? You know, are they just starting out? So it's, it's, it's as we know, um, the, the landscape has reset and the recent, you know, what we're, we're seeing right now currently is, is providing for opportunities in the, um, the merger acquisition business. They're out there. I would say that the merger acquisition business throughout the pandemic is accelerating. It's a, it's a pretty hot market for acquisitions right now. Why? For some of the aforementioned reasons. Um, now, some of the dynamic also, we did see that some of the larger corporate dentistry or the DSOs had actually pulled back on acquisition for a period of time. We're hearing and seeing regionally where in certain parts of the country, they're becoming very active again in the acquisition. That's the DSO corporate dentistry. Um, and some areas are still laying pretty low. The banks, the banks are still coming out. So part of the landscape is, is access to capital. And the banks um, are still really not where I'd say they were pre-pandemic, where you were able to fairly easily with um, a good track record, good credit, and some assets that they can maybe cross-collateralize. But the banks were willing to do up to 100% financing. Still are in some cases, but very rare. They're looking for different things. We'll talk about structure. I think there's some discussion mm -hmm. on that a little bit later. But the landscape has continued, in my opinion, to accelerate. We're seeing a lot of mergers and acquisitions, a lot of late stage doctors or doctors that are late in their career that are willing to now look at liquidating their asset at this point. And that for people that are on the buy side is creating a tremendous opportunity. The consolidation will continue. It's happening. And if anything, like um, some things, not all things, but the pandemic has accelerated that, Shannon. Right. You, you mentioned um, some letters. Tell me a little bit more about, about that, um, because you also mentioned that more doctors are, are looking for M&As right now. That, right. That they're getting, the ones that are coming back and are thriving are like, okay, I have an opportunity to help another doctor out. Like what Curtis was saying, I have an opportunity to help another doctor out that maybe would like to transition yeah. sooner than he or she thought. Um, what, what is it, what are, how are you using these letters? Yeah, um, what you're touching on is really how do we identify, um, you know, what are some of the tools and some of the, the mechanisms, the tools, the ways that we go about locating a merger or acquisition. And you hit on, an, you know, an important piece, but by no means is it the cornerstone or the only strategy. It's a strategy. These letters, which we recommend, we've advocated them pre-pandemic, during the pandemic, of course, the language would change a little bit. And it ties into uh, one of the comments that Curtis made about, you know, there really is an opportunity to, to maybe be stronger by working together. So it's a, it's a nice entree by a, a letter. And what we're talking about is you would, um, depending on your strategy, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves and just say we have this spray and pray strategy. We need to understand if someone's on the buy side, what is their acquisition strategy? Is it roll up? Do they have plenty of capacity at their mothership? Do they want to have individual locations? All the things that, that, uh, that Curtis touched on that are, are decisions that need to be made and there's ways to be successful. Uh, a letter is one way to reach out to the community and let them know you're a buyer. Let them know you're a buyer and you potentially could 
assist them in really what's them achieving what that next step is through what's, you know, if they're mid career and they want to keep practicing. So a, a well-written letter, which we have, and this is something that to everybody on the call, um, you can reach out to your local coach or we'll give some contact information later is one method. I think the other thing, if you want to be a buyer and Shannon, if I'm going too far down this path, but if you want to be a buyer, the letter is one strategy in terms of how to communicate. You want the industry around you to know you're a buyer. You wanna tell your, your dealer reps that you're interested and keep an eye out for you. You wanna to talk to brokers. Yes, you want your brokers. There's some very good brokers out there. There's some are on the other end of the spectrum, but I think that there are, I know that there are some very good brokers out there. Put the word out you're a buyer and shoot wide to start with. Um, I think one of the, you know, so I, I, I cautionary, just if you're too narrow or you're just using the letter and you're not rattling, you know, shaking the bushes elsewhere, um, those are, we're seeing opportunities come back through. Curtis said, hey, he went out on his own because he's a network guy. He, he's connected. Interestingly, a lot of doctors are connected to a network through their dental societies, through study clubs, through other means. Use them all. Use them all. And the letter is a really way to personalize a crafted letter. And there's lists you can purchase or rent at a very reasonable price to reach out to your community. Um, depending on the strategy, well, you know, a, a radius. I mean, if you're in New York, you're going to be looking somewhere probably. You know, if you're in downtown, you're going to probably keep it to blocks. If you're out in the middle of, you know, the, the country, you're going to maybe uh, have a wider swath that you're going to blanket. But th that's the letter I think that you were referring to. And it's a wonderful opportunity to reach out to your community and, and let them know what your intentions are. I love that. I love that you're addressing, you know, thinking outside the box. Yes, there's the letters and we talked about that. And, and obviously they're crafted very elegantly and, and it states the vision and, your, and the intentions. But connecting with your networking with your reps, your brokers, anyone. I mean, it's really no different than what we're doing in the practice when we're connecting with patients, right? How are we connecting with patients? We're, our website, our Facebook, our Instagram, our word of mouth, our referrals are um, so really taking what we've done with patients and now we're expanding it on the next level, connecting with doctors and, and really, you know, looking at it as a gift. I mean, if, if there's a doctor that's in a position to help another doctor out and give that the, the transitioning doctor an opportunity to transition elegantly and know that his legacy is living on. I that I just get extreme. I think uh, Curtis and I very much share that that vision part. Get very and, excited about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that, that letter that you reference is an opportunity to personalize it and really let them know what your intentions are. Right. They could be getting a letter by two other doctors as well, right? So. Oh, they're getting they're getting letters yeah, from. They're getting letters. Yeah, they're getting letters, <laughs> but don't be left out. Right. Point yeah. is, jump jump in. Okay. Um, so, so we've identified, you know, some strategies in the current market and, and what we're seeing with the, the current landscape. Uh, Mark, I want to stick with you just for a minute, uh, because I know that you are, in my opinion, the, one of the leading experts on this when it comes to actually creating deals that are win-win. Yeah. Um, share with me a little bit about some of the different types of structures. I think this is really important right now because you did bring up the fact that banks aren't necessarily doing their traditional, here's a giant loan, go get a practice. Since we're right. seeing them get tighter on the loan structure, what are what are some of these win-win situations? Yeah, well, I've been fortunate to have some great mentors in it. And um, I, I can tell you that the structure of the deals, um, if, if uh, you know, and I, I'll, I'll put it this way, 
older thinking, and I'm not putting it down because it's still a present day opportunity that can still happen. And that's just what we call a cash walk away kind of a structure. Um, you know, a doctor's ready to sell a practice. They've toiled their whole life. They've built this nest egg. They're really counting on it to be something of something substantial when they choose to call it a day and not only hang up the handpiece, but liquidate. Um, and that's just a very transactional way of looking at things. And it's really historically how we've done it. We would put a valuation on a practice. We would always look at collections. There's more sophisticated ways to do it. But historically, it could be anywhere uh, from a low of 65% of historical collections. And the way we do that is they would look at a three-year a weighted average of collections and come up with a valuation, a much more sophisticated way. CPAs would love to. Um, we love CPAs, but they, you know, there's you, you can spend some money doing this or you can thumbnail it, but we would come up with a valuation anywhere from 65 to 95. Um, I saw my, my friend, uh, Dr. Nakashir on here. I've been calling him out. We know around the Michigan pre-pandemic, they were paying 100% of collections. So we do see variations um, throughout the country, but the, so, but the structure, back to structure, the, the, the cash walk away has been um, changed th through this pandemic period. And, 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 and we're really looking at, and so are the brokers. I have broker friends that I talk to, um, looking more balanced, getting skin in the game from both buyer and seller. And this leads to more of what uh, some other terminology, you know, earnouts, uh, performance-based holdbacks, where banks may come in and finance 50% of it, and the other half is where both players are going to have some skin in the game. What this does for the for the buyers is, in a cash walkaway deal, um, you're holding the bag. You know, you would hope that the selling doctor wants to stay on as an associate at least for a transitional period, if that's the good fit. Longer, if they're great. But the structures of cash walk away, which is very transactional, here's my price, I buy it, I walk away, it's your practice, whether you roll it up or you run it as an independent standalone, then you have this whole other category of these hybrid deals, Shannon, that are really looking at more of a balanced risk. It's not asymmetric, it's not all lopsided, it's really kind of a win-win, both share in the upside and this, the, the buyer is protected on the downside because the, this earnout portion is really tied to performance and we can get more granular and I won't, but we can tie it to certain performance criteria. And it's usually always about it. Will it perform as it has historically? And that's a question right now during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And every day that goes by us is one more day of history that a buyer and a seller and a broker has to look at things. And is it stabilizing and growing? Where is it? Um, because that's the whole name of the game. How do you value it, right? So getting creative and having a little bit more of a balanced risk structure in an earnout. And there are tools. And for anybody that's listening in on this and would like more information, please reach out uh, to to us, and we can we can assist you in that. Um, I'm going to recommend a couple of really good reads that would give you a good base foundation at the end of this. Um, but structurally. That's what the banks want to see too, okay? The banks want to see that the buyer and the seller are both having a balanced risk involved in the transition or transaction rather. So um, those are the basically, I could go into the different different types, but really you have a, a walk away transactional. Here's my price. I buy it. I walk out. You're on your own. Or you have something that whether the doctor chooses to stay on or not, it's still based on the performance of the assets that are purchased 
by the by our doctor as, and and will dictate um, how well. And there's an upside if it outperforms it, then potentially yeah. if it's structured that way, then the selling doctor can do better than they thought before. And it's 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 last comment on that is it's it's fitting into today's market because a lot of doctors that are selling, they're trying to get pre-pandemic pricing. Mm -hmm. And what an earnout does is it balances the risk, but it also positions them to get that type of pricing but they're going to get it over a period of time. Now there's other tax benefits and things like that, um, that for the, uh, for the selling doctor, because obviously when you sell an asset, there's capital gains and some things, some considerations. So those are the things that um, we're seeing that are more common in today's market. Brokers are seeing the same brokers are under brokers. Didn't like it pre pandemic. They like a nice, typically a nice clean transaction. They get their commission, they move on, everybody splits their own way. But um, we're seeing the structure of the deals get a little more balanced and a little more connected over a period of time. The buyer and seller are more connected in the performance categories. Well, and it sounds like it's, it's, giving, it's giving sellers the option of actually, you know, if I have a buyer that's coming, that this can actually work out in the means of maybe the buyer can't go get the whole loan, but I want that buyer. I want that buyer to carry on my legacy. Right. So it opens the door to let that happen. And then it also sounds like there's some added benefits in those structure for the seller as well. You mentioned that the tax deferment um, and yeah. being able to take a ride because here's the thing. I, I, I would venture to say somebody like Curtis, if he's going to go buy another location, he's not buying another location just to say I have another location on the book and I have more bills. He's mm -hmm. probably looking at it, and Curtis, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but you're probably looking at it from an aspect of I'm going to buy that location because I have the ability to create growth. And so the seller with some of these more hybrid, unique approaches, the seller gets to take a ride on Curtis's growth, you know, some That's technology right. he can bring in, maybe technology that the seller at this point is not really interested in investing in, but Curtis has the ability to do that. The team, the systems, the, you know, the fortune management, um, what, what we see offices taking advantage of when they're in fortune management. So sounds like these hybrid approaches really are the, I mean, I, I just, I don't even know how a traditional approach would even make sense, but yeah. I'm sure in some situations. I, you know, I'd add one other facet to this, and it's a little bit about the strategy, but it's very important that I mentioned it earlier that the, the buyer understands what their acquisition strategy is, whether they're trying to do roll-ups, things like that, um, whether they want to do a standalone or really what their longer term mission is, what they're really after. That's important to understand. It's also really important for the buyer to understand what's most important to the seller. So this collaborative kind of an approach, which leads to these hybrids is really important. Seller finance, we just closed the deal for a client of mine that did, uh, didn't want to do an earnout, but was willing to do seller finance. So we essentially kept the banks out now, the goal is not to keep the banks out. The banks are happy kind of sitting on the sidelines still. They're still having a fairly, and that's not across the board, but in a general rule, the major lenders at this point are still on the sidelines. If you have a great uh, relationship with a local bank, you know, that's fantastic, but it's not what's happening. But seller finance is a piece that also we are seeing more of right now in terms of a structure of a deal that the seller will finance it. They don't need a big lump sum up front. Um, they do need a tax deferred strategy. So they would rather maybe work it that way, or they can work it off of over a three-year period. So that in the bank side, they're willing to loan some portion in that because they see that both parties are taking risk. 
So I wanted to add that in. Seller finance is another another structural piece that we're seeing some. We just closed a, a deal in Middle America um, on a complete seller finance, ten percent down out of the out of the this the buyers. Uh, you know, buyer paid 10% down, the rest was seller finance. So you're seeing these type of things where there's balance. Very cool. Very cool. Well, I think there's no question that the attendees on tonight's webinar, they're thinking, okay, wait, but what about this? And what about that? And you're, you're probably, they're probably, it's starting to open all kinds of doors of opportunity. Right. Uh, you mentioned, and I know we're going to circle back at the very end, but you mentioned that there's, I, I think I know which two reads you're talking about. I think I've studied yeah, yeah. them as well. Yeah, should I, should I plug those? I mean, I'm plugging yeah, them. They're very important. Go ahead and, and bring yeah. those up. Um, we're going to make sure the attendees know about these yeah. um, the end. Yeah, so this is this is a win-winning outcome, and it's it really details. It's great. It's a great foundational piece, quick read. It's written by uh, Bernie Stoltz, the CEO of Fortune Management, and also co-written by uh, with Mark Murphy, who is the CEO of Sequoia Financial. Um, this is the, the foundation, and I know Curtis knows this thing front to back. Um, if you don't have a copy, you'll be in the, in the end, we'd like to gift you one. If you do not have one, uh, very important. And again, I think that the philosophies that I've shared with you and some of the foundational pieces of what's happening in the marketplace, great read right there. And the other one is from Bill Barrett, who sits on my board at fortune 50. And this is uh, buy buy, sell, merge. And it's just a little bit, and it's also written um, in conjunction with Casey Gosell, one of his very talented Attorneys. Now, Bill is the attorney, uh, the uh, CEO of Mandelbaum Salzburg, uh, one of the larger uh, healthcare law firms in the U.S. And again, Bill sits on our board. Buy, sell, merge. Again, if you're going to play in this game and you want to do well, this is something that you need to have a copy, and we'd love to give you a copy of that. And uh, I think at the end, Shannon will be able to tell them. Uh, yeah, when absolutely. Up that. Okay, uh, really good. Um, so much more information in there than we were able to cover on the, the few minutes we had tonight. Yeah, well, there's no question that the conversation around mergers and acquisition can be, you know, a four day study. I mean, it could be a whole college course, in my opinion. Um, and those two books certainly uh, go into much more detail yeah. than what we're able to. I'm glad that you brought those up. So let's assume this all of this has taken place. We, we, we had a big enough why we're a doctor. We've gone out. We've built a relationship with a seller. We've created um, a successful merger on paper, meaning according to the bank, according to the legal firm, according to the official paperwork, the merger is done and we have now um, become one practice. Curtis, I'd like to take some time for you to talk about because you've done this. I mean, this, this is your wheelhouse. Not only are you helping other doctors do it successfully, but you, you personally go home at night, have done this successfully. I'd like for you to give some insight to our doctors who maybe just did a merger or they're getting ready to close or they're thinking about closing. What are some things you have to think about after the, the ink is on paper and um, we have a, a new tax ID now? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, this is when it gets exciting because this is, you know, strategy and narration time, right? It's, you know, how, how do you orchestrate the, uh, the, the outcome and, and make sure it's super successful. And these are also some bullet points that you're definitely going to want to take to the conversation to get the deal going. Cause it, you know, it at least shows them that you know what you're doing and after they come over, it's going to be successful and, and they're going to be taken care of is really what they're looking for. Right. So every, everything's signed, purchase agreements are done. It's strategy time. It's it's so so important to approach every single thing that happens after that extremely strategically. You know, really everything from how do you handle the data merge of the patient base to 
you know, sometimes usually actually more often than not, it's, it's a bunch of paper charts, you know, how do you handle those? You know, you want to have systems written out for each of the things that come across your, your, your plate in order to really provide as little stress for or new stress for your team as possible. Okay. So the more you can think through each little thing that's going to happen, the better. And one thing that I, I've seen work really well is bring over all the patients unencumbered with $0 balances. And that's, that's a strategy that I've, I've taken a lot. It's not the only strategy, so it doesn't always have to go that way. Uh, that means that the, the seller takes care of their old AR. They get to keep that. And it can be attractive for the seller because they don't have to actually try and collect it. That's one thing that I've done that I think works pretty well. But, you know, a number of strategic things do need to take place, like a conversation with your team. And it's a coaching conversation, right? You got to prepare them for the different questions that they're going to be asked along the way. You know, undoubtedly, you're going to have patients asking things that you want to have very, very good answers to and consistent answers. You don't want to have every single person in your practice, you know, existing team members, new team members saying different things to, to certain questions, right? You know, one that we always get is, you know, why do I have to fill out this new patient paperwork and I'm not a new patient, right? Oh, you I didn't even think about that. <laughs> yeah, you want to keep it as familiar as possible, right? You want to keep the, you want to keep the relationship as familiar as possible. You know, some other things that happen and, you know, what I love to see take place is before anyone knows about this, um, you know, any, any, any patients, existing team members, new team members, a transition letter is drafted. That way we can actually go to our existing team and say, look at this amazing PR piece we're going to release to our patients about the great opportunity we've been presented with to join, you know, new doctor over here, right? So you want to use that as a, as a PR piece in order to get your patients comfortable with what they're about to go through. And I'm saying the transition patients, get the, you know, keep them comfortable and get them comfortable. Another thing that, that I highly recommend is that, you know, is as much as you can, you want to keep their appointments the same as you've had them if they're pre-scheduled in your office in, in the new office. Okay. I don't know if I'd move a whole bunch of existing patients in the new office, but if you can, you know, if you can double schedule and make room for them, however you can do that, that is a way to really, really keep people happy. Instead of saying your appointment's been canceled, call us to schedule a new right? You want to keep things familiar. You want to keep them familiar. So the first thing is a transition letter. And actually, let me take one step back because this really cues to your marketing strategy for these patients, right? You've marketed the doctor, you've marketed the practice, you've marketed the team, which, you know, you should have had a conversation with them as well at some point before this took place. Now you're marketing to those patients to make sure they show up. And if you don't have those things in place, uh, you leave a little bit more to chance than if you did. And after a transition, then we have our welcome letter from the existing doctor, the, or I'm sorry, the, the purchasing doctor, right? The buyer, right? So maybe they're a couple of weeks apart, two weeks before the transition date, you have the transition letter. Then, you know, a week after they get in the new practice, you have the welcome letter. So everyone gets that. It's a beautiful piece written up. And we have some templates for those too. That says, welcome to the new practice. We're super excited to have you. You know, we can't wait to see you on your appointment date, whenever that was. But now, you know, now they're welcomed into the practice. And there's a couple of key people you want to, you know, in in uh, in these positions in your office, one is a transition liaison. Okay, and so really, what that person's responsible for is making sure that every single person that received uh, that should have received a letter or is expected to come over, right, ends up with an appointment in your office. And I call that just taking the very best care of your patients. And that is really something that, that I know Fortune you know coaches on. Not all offices do that. Um, but if you can show this new patient base about how over the top you are at making sure they're very well taken care of, it's a great way to start this new relationship that you're asking them to be. 
right? No one really likes to say you're, you have to be in a relationship with me. But if you reach out to them and you say, you know, we just want to make sure you got our letters. We want to make sure you're very well taken care of. We haven't heard from you yet. You know, I, I'm Curtis from uh, South Hills Dental Arts. I'm super excited to get you on our schedule and have you meet or have you, you know, see your existing doctor over at the new location. What else? A couple other things that, uh, that need to be addressed. I already talked about questions. We typically type out a whole list of questions. We'll have a meeting and we'll say, you know, what have you been asked so far when you think you're going to be asking the you got to look out for team members that might not come along. They don't always come, right? It's great when they do come. You know, my my, my uh, precedence that I set at the initial meeting with the team that we want to bring over is we are super excited to have every single new team member, every single team member join us in our new practice. And we talk to them, we bring them along, we give them the opportunity. It doesn't always happen. You want your hygienists, you want your doctors. You really want everyone to assume they're good people. Um, but say that person doesn't come, you need to have a way to answer that when someone says, where is, you know, hygienist, such and such, right? You want to have that response and you want to have a big good response. So that's like that, that, that coaching meeting that you have. And, you know, you want to have those things typed out, people can refer to them, people can understand them. Um, I think another thing that really, really uh, needs to be done is, is tracking and monitoring of how successful the thing has been, okay? And doing it along the way. The last thing you want to do is forget about your original patient base and pay more attention to this new patient base. And next thing you know, your original patient base starts to drop. The, exist, uh, the, the, the new patient base starts to go up. And you're like, well, we, we stopped doing reactivation with our existing patients. And we've only focused on this one group of people. So this is one all, what, you, what you focus on is what you find. So if all your focus is on, on the, the new patients, then you're not really giving the love and attention to the existing ones. That's interesting. That's interesting. And it's easy to happen. You know, I, I did one and, and you know, we were a handful of months into it. It was like, you know, we haven't made a ton of reactivation calls for our existing people to keep them in the, in the wellness. And, you know, we had to kind of, kind of relook at that. And that's actually why I created this monitor to be able to do that where you know, one, one section charts all of the existing patients and the metrics that we like there, like the active patient count, right? The hygiene effectiveness rate, you know, um, you know, some of the production and collection dollars from the existing patient base. Then right below that, you've got your merged patient base and you have your active patient base there. What's expected? What do you need to obtain? Then you have your hygiene effectiveness rate and the same numbers that you have above that. Then you've got your total practice information right below that. It's pretty right. simple. And, you know, I certainly can, uh, Provide it for anyone that is interested in, in what that looks like. The, the tricky part is when, you know, I've got a client who's done, I think, four of them in the last three years, and he's just grown exponentially. And, you know, he's got all these different rows of this data that he is, uh, that he monitors every month, right? He runs the different, the different reports for those things in order to see those metrics. But the goal is that they are all increasing and that not, not one is being neglected. And that can be the tricky part, but strategy certainly uh, is important to have that laid out. And, you know, again, having these bullet points in, in front of you, you know, really flexing your muscle to the seller, letting them know that they will be taken care of creates that win-win strategy because it's, uh, you know, people are, are kind of skeptical and you say, yeah, come on over. I'm not going to give you any money for your practice. And, you know, hopefully it works out. So it doesn't, all, it doesn't go well that way. You want to show them. So. <laughs> um, well, I love, so I'm hearing three common themes in, in, what it really takes after the, the, the ink is on paper. And that is one controlling the message. You know, what, what message is being put out there from the new team members, the existing team members, the doctors, the, the, the PR really making sure everyone is in alignment 
and understands that message because, you know, I know if you leave it up to chance, you're going to get 10 different messages and seven of them may not be in your best benefit. That's going to let you really protect that investment. Right. Um, and then I heard that, uh, what you're telling us is, is extremely important that the patient relationship, I love the word familiar, the way the way that you're using that. And that's a lot of what we teach in Fortune with enrollment, right? With mirror and matching. So doing our best, yes, there's going to be change and that's going to bring uncertainty. But the, the areas that we can keep the same, it sounds like you're saying for the moment and the, in the early, very much, especially in the early part, do as much of what you can the same so that they have the familiar um, feeling. That's right. Yeah. I mean, everything yeah. from, you know, how they answer the, the phone, you, know, you keep the original phone number, have it forwarded to a cell phone that gets answered in a special way that the existing patient base might not hear that message. And that way it's comfortable. You know, you yeah. can mix, you can mix the, the, the greetings and, and just make everyone feel very well taken care of. Remove as much uncertainty as possible is what I'm hearing from that. And then that th- a third really big point, I kind of made a note on my paper. I was writing it down. When you were talking about this tracking your new your the patients that are coming over from the M and A um, and your existing patients, I'm hearing this theme about leave no patient behind. Like you literally, it sounds like you actually invest in assigning a team member. You called it the transition liaison, and that person's job is to make sure no patients left behind. That they get personal invite, personal. You are important to us. Let us help you make this easy in coming over. Let us take the very best care of you. That's right. Yep, that is absolutely. very, very cool. I like, I like, I'm, I'm loving this. Uh, I can't wait to go talk to my docs and talk, tell them about this transition liaison. I know doc, Dr. Um, uh, I think Dr. Loudenbach's on, on the meeting tonight. I hope you made note on that. Cause we're going to talk about that on your next coaching call. You got to have someone accountable for the result and let the, the seller know that's what, that's what's going to happen. Well, I, uh, I, and I know our attendees tonight are, we are so grateful for both um, Curtis and Mark's time. Um, having some insight from you has been extremely valuable. We're going to, you know, we're obviously going to share the contact information. All the attendees have opportunities to connect with a fortune coach and make sure that this conversation can continue. Cause this is only about a 45 minute conversation out of like I said, probably an entire college course could be written on. And then, you know, Mark, thanks so much for bringing up um, those two very powerful resources. Both books are phenomenal. Um, and we'll make sure that our attendees have access to those. Um, Stephanie, can you help me out and tell me, um, do we have any questions that have come through? Nope. Okay. So if, if anybody does have a question that they want to um, Oh, Dr. Dr. J said he was typing it as, as we're speaking. Well, that next coaching call is already designed. Thanks, Curtis, for giving me some talking points. <laughs> well, I'm just very grateful for everyone who was able to jump on this evening. We'll obviously have a recording for you as well. So you can um, keep an eye out for that in your email. Our, our lovely um, Stephanie and Gretchen do a great job at making sure the, the post um, webinar steps are followed through with. So we're grateful for you as well. And uh, thanks again and have a great rest of your night. Thank you for listening to the Practice Mastery Podcast. For more information on Fortune Management and to find an event in your area, please visit fortunemgmt.com.